I thought we'd start this morning with a little assessment. Y'all ready? Why are you here this morning? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I just had to get out of the house. I'm going crazy in here. Or maybe you think, well, I haven't seen some of the people that I'll see at church for months now or weeks since I want to go to see some of those people. Maybe you're here because you're curious. You heard that Calvary's having the outdoor service. You heard some people liked it. Other people were hot. Some people couldn't hear. Some people was too loud. So you came to check it out yourself. Maybe you're here to earn brownie points with that someone in your life or, or maybe with God. Maybe you're going through some problem, some difficulty, and you figure like, oh, I know, I'll go to church and then God will kind of owe me one. And so I'll go to church, I'll make God my debtor somehow. Then when I pray for it, God's got to give me something because I gave him something. Or maybe you're here and you would answer the question, I'm here to worship. All right, let me ask a follow-up question for those of you that give that spiritual answer. What is worship? Some people want to equate worship with singing. And so uh, occasionally you hear someone say, the worship part of our service, and they mean the music part of the service. We kind of resist that here at Calvary Church. Other people say, no, uh, worship means uh, what we'll do when we get back inside. We need to be inside in order to worship. Or other people think, no, 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 I worship better when I'm online and I can kind of multitask. Well, interestingly, the Bible's pretty clear. We can worship while we sing, and yet you can sing without worshiping. You can worship when your body is in a certain place, but you don't have to worship when your body's in that certain place. So what is worship? That's one of those words that we throw around all the time. We think we know what it means. We kind of have a range, but what exactly does it mean? That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're in a series that we're calling Be the Countercultural Church. And one of the things that makes Christianity so countercultural is worship. Not that we worship, but who we worship. Now, interestingly, if you were to read through kind of the middle section or toward the end of 1 Corinthians, you would find lots of chapters on worship. In fact, here's kind of a little assignment. Sometime this week or later today, read through chapters 11 through 14. And when you read those chapters, you're going to read lots of verses that talk about worship. Now, I'm not going to read all those chapters to you, but I did cherry pick a few verses. So you read the context later, but let me tell you what some of these verses say, and then I'll make a couple of observations. From 1 Corinthians 11. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Paul's not affirming them. He's not commending them. He's critiquing them. He's saying, so when you gather together and you're calling it a worship service, there are lots of divisions among you. Remember often in the book, in the beginning, in the letter, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Peter. It shouldn't be, Paul says. Another verse in chapter 12 says this. Now to each one, every individual, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then later in that chapter, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you a part of it. Something happens when we gather together that needs to be for the common good. And each of us has been gifted and put into the body as a member so that the whole body can be built up. Here are a couple of verses from chapter 14. Some of you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, 
try to excel in those that build up the church. That's that edification word. And here's a a really interesting section from the end of chapter 14. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Now, if that section says anything, it says this. When we gather together for worship, the ultimate question is not, how can I be served? How can I be fed? How can I get my needs met? The ultimate question is, how can I serve? How can I put my presence, my gifts, my abilities into play for someone else? How can I serve? How can I do things for the common good, for the building up of the church? Well, what I want to do now is just give four little observations from those verses and a couple of others to help us understand worship. And maybe by the end, we'll zero in on the the definition a little bit. The first thing you have to know is that the word worship comes from an old word that just means worth-ship, W-R-T-H, worth-ship. So here's what worship means, ascribing worth. When we worship, we're ascribing worth. So uh, let me explain it this way. Raise your hand. How many of you have ever watched American Pickers? Anybody? Oh, most of you. With Mike, Frank, and Danielle. She's strange. Uh, So we got Mike, Frank, and Danielle. Just suppose Mike and Frank pull up to your house this week, and they want to look through your junk. Um, And that raises, where do you keep your junk? You keep it in the garage, keep it in the basement, keep it in the attic. I have to keep my junk in the trunk of my car because my wife won't let it anywhere near the house. And so I got my junk. So Mike and Frank show up, and they want to look through your junk to see if anything's valuable. So Mike's over in the corner, as he usually does, and he's kind of, and all of a sudden, he lets out a shriek. Oh! Frank goes running over. Mike, what'd you find? You won't believe what I found. And he pulls out this funky, old, rusted, looks like a piece of crap thing. Have you ever seen one of these, Frank? Look at this thing. Frank goes ballistic, too. They're describing it in intricate detail, And he says to you, what is it? I don't know, some piece of junk my grandfather gave me. I didn't want to throw it out. It's one of the few things I have to remember him. He said, oh, we have to call the expert. If Mike's at a loss, he has to call an expert. So he calls an expert, and the expert says to him on the phone, he's got it on speaker so you can hear. Mike, this is one of the most valuable things you've ever found on pickers. That object may not be priceless, but it is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you look at it and say, what? It's rusted and crooked. and You need to get it if you can. My guess is you begin to have a whole new appreciation for your grandfather, right? Now notice, once worth has been ascribed to what you thought was a piece of junk, everything now changes. Your attitude changes. You have positive, happy thoughts about your grandfather. Your behavior changes. You're not going to put that thing back in the garage or in the basement or in your trunk. You're going to cherish that possession. If Mike says to you, hey, with a little bit of work, a little bit of tweak here, it would be even more valuable. You're going to invest in that piece of junk. You're going to take it to someone that can do a little repair, and all of a sudden the valuable object will be worth much more. That process is the process of worship. Mike and Frank We're helping you ascribe worth to something that you thought was not valuable, but now you know it's valuable. That's worship. 
So when we gather like this, everything we do in a service is designed to help us evaluate what we're ascribing worth to and compare that to the worth of God, Jesus, and the gospel. Sometimes we need help to help us understand ascribing worth, how valuable God is. We often describe our function here in worship arts as seeing God accurately and responding appropriately. So what do we do? We see God accurately. That's the process of learning. And then we respond appropriately. You see, one of the things that makes me nervous, it seems like a lot of stuff gets written and a lot of words get spoken about worship today that focus on the response without the assessment. The assessment has to precede the response. Uh, worship is seeing God accurately. If we're not seeing God accurately, we're not going to respond appropriately. And you can work up all the response you want, but if it's not coming from an accurate understanding of God, Jesus, and the gospel, it's not going to be true worship. That leads us to a second observation I want to make. So worship is worship. Secondly, if that's true, everybody worships. The difference between Christianity and everybody else in the world is not that we worship and they don't. The difference is we worship Jesus. We worship Christ. Christ speaks to his mission, who he is. He's the king who comes and pays our debt, delivers us from our sin, accesses God again, and our eternity changes forever. So everybody worships. The difference isn't if you worship or not. The difference is what are you worshiping? And so here's a worship question that we need to deal with regularly, and certainly I hope every Sunday when we gather. What are you worshiping? What are you ascribing value to? Or more pointedly, what are you ascribing ultimate value to? If push comes to shove, what's your highest priority? What's your highest value in life? Whatever that is, that's what you're worshiping. I remember years ago, a person that gave a little hint to me, they said, you can tell what someone worships and what you worship by looking at what you fill your calendar with and, write you, and what you write checks for. That's pretty important. What are you spending your time on and what are you spending your money on? They're the two worship questions. Everybody worships. The question is, what or who are you worshiping? Not if you're worshiping or not. Well, the third statement I want to make is this. Worship engages every aspect of our being, but worship must begin in our minds. You know, so often today, it seems in some circles, worship is almost entirely perceived as emotion. Emotion must be involved, but worship has to begin in the mind because worship is seeing God accurately and responding appropriately. That's why we spend so much time comparing and contrasting what we're valuing, explaining who God is, explaining who Jesus is, explaining how the gospel works, because if we can see all of that accurately, our response will be more automatic. And so when we gather, I sure hope you shift your mind into gear rather than put it in neutral. When we sing, the songs are helping us worship. Were you reflecting this morning as we work through the songs? Were you thinking about even the announcement when you're thinking about Kid Fest, when you're thinking about showing up next week on time at 9.30? You see, all of that fits into the picture because worship has to begin in your mind and then filters through to the rest of your body. 
Some of you are very expressive in worship. Others of you are kind of subdued in worship. But the process is always the same. It must germinate in your mind, take root, and then the rest of your being, your behavior, your investment, all that stuff kind of follows. Worship engages every part of us, but it has to begin in our minds. I don't know about you. That's maybe one of the small problems about just watching a church service online. Look, I'm thankful for the technology. I'm glad if you're not here, you watch online. When we were doing those, I would watch with Kim. We'd go through, and that's a wonderful piece of technology. But here's my problem. I'm easily distracted. I mean, if I'm home watching, all of a sudden I need coffee. I got to check the email. I got to run over here, see what this person's doing. What's outside? What's that noise? I'm easily distracted. If worship begins in my mind and then filters to the rest of my body, but I can't keep my mind engaged, I'm not going to worship well. I don't know about you. It's a little easier to kind of stay in tune if we're together like this. If for no other reason, you don't want to be embarrassed by the people around you. Look, oh, he's not paying attention. She's not paying attention. Look, she's doing text messaging. She's on Facebook. Maybe sometimes that external pressure is a good thing. One last comment. True worship. When we worship God, when we worship Jesus, when we think about the gospel and it affects all of us, it will always lead to joy and rest. If you don't find yourself increasing in joy and increasing in rest, that's probably a worship problem. I don't know about you, but as I go through life, my life is often restless and anxious. I can tell you in detail everything that's not right about today already. I got up, this wasn't right, and so maybe this is your experience. Your hair doesn't look right when you look in the mirror. You can't find something to wear. You wonder what this person's going to do. The kids are misbehaving. The car's not running the way you want. You walk through the house. This needs to be fixed. That needs to be fixed. And all the while you're doing that, you're distracted. You're restless. You're anxious. What's going to happen? Maybe you have a great job and you got a raise, or maybe you're out of work right now and you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet. You see, all of those things kind of filter together and often sap us of our joy and our rest. We're restless because we think we have to take life by the horns and kind of make it work the way we want. And our joy is sapped because we're worried about all the stuff that can happen. Well, let me ask you a couple questions. If you woke up one morning to discover that the God who made all of this and everything else that exists is your Father who loves you more than you can imagine, my guess is that would change your day a little bit. And if you woke up one day this week and realized that Jesus wants to be your Savior, is your Savior, has already paid for all of your mistakes, all of your failures, all of your sins, and now access to God forever is secured in Him, that would change your day, right? And if all of a sudden you realized eternity is no longer dependent on what you do, eternity has already been determined by what Jesus did. My guess is if that would somehow take root from our minds to our hearts, we would have joy and we would have rest because we would be worshiping. True worship always leads to joy and rest. We're going to sing a couple of more songs in ending, and I'm going to ask you to not allow those distractions, not allow your mind to... Let's think about the songs. Think about worship. Think about um, 
all of our being being engaged, that we all worship. And maybe while we're singing and we're thinking, you can begin to assess what you're ascribing ultimate worth to and trade up whatever you're worshiping to worship Jesus. If for no other reason, that'll make your presence here this morning all the more worth it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for giving us minds that can uh, take in lots of information and details. And thanks for revealing yourself so we know about you and Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and how that process of salvation works. Lord, I pray this morning that we would all, in a small way or a large way, trade up from what we're ascribing ultimate worth to, to ascribe ultimate worth to Jesus. Forever grateful, worshiping forever because of what he's done for us. We pray in his name.